0: Well, good morning, faith family. It's good to see you. If you have a Bible, would you please turn to Acts chapter 10? Acts chapter 10, that's where we're going to be. And we are making progress in the book of Acts. We are uh, this fall in a series going through the book of Acts, talking about a church on mission, what it means to be a Christian that lives life uh, on mission with God. I told you the very first week that uh, we were going to be challenged to think bigger and to think wider about gospel influence, about gospel impact. And I I trust that you, like me, at this point are just like, man, the book of Acts is so incredibly challenging about the kind of gospel influence and gospel impact that our life and our church can have. And so we're going to see that again this morning here in Acts chapter 10. You ready to do this? Man, I am. Let's go. Man, there's some good, good stuff here in this chapter. So let's let's have some fun studying God's Word. Would you please stand, if you're able, as we read God's Word. We're going to look at most of the chapter, but for our uh, Scripture reading, let's just start at verse 9. Luke here is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as these words are breathed out by God. It says, The next day... As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, but they were, as they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it there were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter's inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he'd seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they called out and asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down. Accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming?' And they said, well, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so he invited them in to be his guests. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for just the privilege to be able to study through the book of Acts, to be challenged, Uh, to live a life on mission, to be a church on mission. And Lord, I I just wonder if we feel a disconnect between the way we live and the way these early Christians lived. And and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just come in these next few moments. Would you teach us? Would you challenge us? Would you uh, absolutely destroy our paradigms and build them up into a way that's more faithful and obedient to the mission you've called us to. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Could you make those kids be quiet? He didn't say it, but that's what he was thinking. Stephen Covey, in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, described a Sunday morning morning Subway ride in New York City. It was a very quiet and peaceful ride. One guy was reading the newspaper. Someone else was lost in thought. One lady was kind of leaned against the wall with her head back catching up on sleep. It was calm and peaceful until they walked in. It was a man with his children. And his kids were loud and rambunctious. They were yelling at one another. They were throwing things at one another. They were messing with people's stuff. And what made the situation even worse was that the dad did nothing. He just sat there with his head in his hands staring at the floor. It's one of those situations, if you've ever been around something like that, where everybody else starts just looking at one another and making eye contact and looking at the kids and looking back at one another, and you're thinking the same thing they're thinking, which is, man, you seriously need to get control of your kids. And that went on for several minutes. Till finally Stephen had all that he could take. He was absolutely fed up with all this commotion. And he looked at the man and he said, Excuse me, sir, your kids are really disrupting everybody. Do you think you could do something? And the man lifted up his head from his hands like he just woke up from a nap. And his eyes were bloodshot, and he said, I'm so sorry, I should do something, it's just, well, it's just we left the hospital about an hour ago and their mom, my wife, just died. And i got to be honest with you. I don't know what we're going to do. And here's what Stephen said. Quote, Can you imagine how I felt in that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly I saw things in a completely different way. My irritation vanished. My heart, which was full of frustration, was now full of compassion. In a moment, everything about that situation changed. I bet you can relate to a situation like that in your life. I don't mean the kind of thing where you said something that you're like, that was really dumb. Why did I say that? Kind of open mouth, insert foot. We've all had that kind of experience, I'm sure. But I'm talking about a situation where you thought you knew reality. You thought you had the situation figured out. You thought you knew all the facts and then something came along Someone came along. Some information came along and it changed the entire situation. For some of you, you said, oh, marriage, that's not for me until she came along and everything changed. For some of you, it was, man, my dad's going to be here forever. And then the medical results came back and everything changed. For some of you, It was a situation where you thought, I could never love anybody more. And then she was born. And that little girl rocks your world. She melts your heart. For some of you, it was like, man, marriage is forever. And then he said, honey, we need to have a talk. And for some of you here, At one point in your life, you would have said, Christianity, man, that's for others. That's for the intellectually weak. And then Jesus came into your life and changed everything. You see, all of us can relate to those situations where we thought we knew reality. We thought this is just how it is. And something came along and changed it all. It is exactly what's happening in Acts chapter 10. It it, is. God takes two people and the entire mission, and he takes it to a place that would have seemed at one point unthinkable. Reality has forever been changed. Notice verse 9. It says that the next day as they're on a journey approaching the city, that Peter goes up to the housetop. It's about the sixth hour, and he's going to pray. He's hungry. He wants something to eat, and people are preparing that. And while that's happening, he falls into a trance. He saws the heaven open, and something like a great sheet is descending, being led down by the four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. In other words, Peter's preaching the gospel. Peter's telling people about Jesus, and he's tired, and he wants to rest. And so he decides to go up on the housetop, and he's going to pray. And while he's praying, he falls asleep. Right? You thought you were the only one that at, that ever happened. Have so you ever had that, like, it's bedtime, and you're like, okay, I really need to pray. All right, God, thank you so much for the... Right? You know, you had that, it's like, boom, you're out. Well, Peter's praying, and while he's praying, he falls asleep. And in this sleep, he has a dream. He has this vision of this sheep that's coming down from like all four corners of the earth and it's filled with animals. I mean, it's the ancient Near Eastern equivalent of pigs in a blanket, right? That's good. That's funny right there. If you don't think that's funny, you get up out of here right now. That's funny. Pigs in a blanket. And notice what God tells them. It's something unthinkable. He says, verse 13, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. I'm a country boy for Tennessee. That may be my life verse right there. There are people in my hometown that get saved over that verse. Rise, kill, eat. I am man, hear me roar, right? Let's be honest, there there are verses in the Bible that I struggle with. Forgive as you've been forgiven. I'm going to share my heart. There has never been a point in my life where I have not been able to apply that verse. (laughs) And then notice what Peter says, verse 14 by no means, Lord. To which I read that, I say, What are you, communist? That's a barbecue buffet, buddy. How could you say no to that? I mean, we've all kind of had those situations, haven't we, where you had to eat something you didn't like? Anybody been there? I'll never forget my first mission trip to China. They served us things that I thought, I have no idea what this is. That's a real picture of the market outside where I was eating. It was just like, I'm going to be polite. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to eat whatever they put in front of me. And there was one particular meal. We were doing English language courses at a a Chinese school. And the teachers hosted a lunch for us. And they're just bringing food after food after food after food. I don't know what I'm eating. I'm just eating because I don't have a problem with eating. And so (laughs) I'm doing great. Until I look down into my bowl, and I'm not making this up, there is an eyeball staring back at me. It's all fun and games till something like that happens in your life. It is one of those moments where it's like, I'd say grace, but I don't want to wake it. You know, it's like, I don't even know how to handle this situation right now. Many of you have been in that kind of a situation, but Peter's not rejecting this food because he's picky or because he thinks it's gross. Notice he says, because I have never eaten anything that's common or unclean. Peter is rejecting this food because according to the dietary laws in the Old Testament, he can't eat these things. God gave specific dietary laws, ceremonial laws that kept Israel different, distinct from all the other nations. Certain dress that you would wear, certain food that you would eat. How many of you remember in the book of Daniel when King Nebuchadnezzar says, I want you to eat these foods and Daniel and the others who were Jewish said, I'm sorry, King, we cannot eat that. How many of you remember that? Say yes. Then, why is it that that was the right response for Daniel, but the wrong response for Peter? What changed? Let me illustrate it this way Imagine a parent and a child at a very busy street, one on one side and one on the other. The parent commands this Don't cross. Because they're waiting for all the traffic to come through. Once the traffic has all come through, the parent then offers a new command. Cross. Is that a contradiction? No. At the right time, don't cross was the right command. Oh, I'm going to get excited. But something new has come through. Peter fully understood that Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. Just go back and look at his sermons earlier in Acts. He's all about saying, do you remember this in the Old Testament? Well, that has now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But what Peter has not learned is that Jesus has also fulfilled the ceremonial laws. Those things that keep you distinct and separate from the world. And so here's the point. And Faith Family, I'm really, really, really excited about this. Because you know, I hate moralism and I hate legalism. Here is what Peter is learning. You're no longer different because of the rules you follow. You're different because of the person you follow. That'll preach, preacher. Come on. Man, some of you grew up in legalistic, fundamental backgrounds where you're being different. You're being set apart from the world was you don't do that and you don't do this. I'm here to tell you that what makes you different from the world is that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what's changed because something new has come through. Now you could at this point say, "Really? Is God and Peter having a food fight?" I mean, it, 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 seriously, is food really that important? What's the big deal? Well, it wasn't about food, it was about people. In other words, let me put it this way right here. It's not those foods that the problem, it's those people who eat those foods. Because notice what's happening downstairs when he's having a vision on the rooftop. Verse 17, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he'd seen might mean, behold! No, we don't use that word behold very much, right? We need to recover. Like husbands, how many of you like come home from a long day at work, you walk in and you're like, behold, I'm here. You don't do that. Try that. I want to see you get smacked, right? <laughs> behold. We don't don't talk that way, and so we're kind of like, it's almost like a Bible word, behold. It's the idea of, like, it just so happened, or you're not going to believe this. While Peter's perplexed about the vision, behold, what? The men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they called out to ask where Simon, who was called, Peter was lodging. And while Peter was pondering the vision, and while Peter was pondering the vision, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, you're not gonna believe this. It just so happened. Three men are looking for you. Now pay attention. There's a dot you need to connect with some previous verses. Rise and go down. Where have we heard that language before? Do you see the dots? Come here, come here, come here. Rise, kill, and eat. Rise and go down. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. What does rise, kill, and eat mean? It means rise and go down to the gate. Why? Who is at the gate? Gentiles. And what Peter does next is unthinkable. Verse 23. So he invited them in to be his guests and the next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. In other words, Peter does what is unthinkable. He not only associates with them, he invites them in, he feeds them, and he lets them stay the night. You see, when God, this is so Unbelievably important. Look here. When God comes to Peter and says, rise and eat, he's not giving him a better breakfast menu. Yay, bacon! That's not what's happening. (laughs) God is removing a 1,400-year racial barrier. Peter heard what he never thought he'd hear. Peter did what he never thought he'd do. Why? That's what a life on mission does. If you live on mission, if you take seriously the mission of God, you're going to end up associating with people, going to places, doing things that at one point in your life you would have said, that's un. Thinkable. Here's the problem, Berean. We're crazy, but I don't know if we're crazy enough. Because the comfortable life and the cross-centered life do not go together. When Jesus comes in, when the mission of God invades, it calls us to do things that seem unthinkable, like being friendly to someone with a different political point of view, like giving money sacrificially, like giving your life to full-time ministry, like adopting a child of a different race, like living in a neighborhood nobody else wants to live in, like forgiving the way you have been forgiven, you say, Pastor, it's unthinkable. And I say, I know, it's the mission of God. Would you stop right now In your life and ask, what is it that at one point, what you're doing, how you're living, the way you're acting today, at one point in your life would have seemed absolutely unthinkable. Because if there's nothing there, it may be that you're not living on mission. Peter is not the only one who gets the experience of the unthinkable. Luke also tells us about another guy by the name of Cornelius. Look at verse 1. It says, at Caesarea, there's a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He's a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the the people, and prayed continually to God. Now, that's a pretty sweet description. Here's the quick summary. Number one, he's a military man. He's got a great reputation. He's a devout man. So he's very committed, very serious. He's a God-fearing man. What that means is he would have rejected polytheism of the day, the multi-gods. He believed that there was one God, God God-fearing. He's a family man. He's impacted his household. That would include not just his family, but even the soldiers under his command. He's a generous man. He gives to the poor. And he's a praying man. In fact, Luke says he prays all the time, prays continuously. Now, now you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you at your funeral would love it if somebody stood up and said all that about you? It's a patriotic, oh man, love their country, believed that God existed, went to church, gave very generous, man, she was like one of the most generous generous people you'd ever want to be around. Oh my gosh, man, him, he, he was... He, was so, he would pray for you? Such a, such a praying man. Wouldn't we think that that would be an awesome representation of a life? You must hear me. You can be all those things and not be in relationship with God. You can be all those things and not be in relationship with God. You see, in those days there were three types of people. Jews that could come to the temple and come in. Proselytes who were Gentiles that adopted Judaism and they had to stay in the Gentile court. They were not allowed to draw near. And then you had pagans. You didn't worry about them because they weren't coming to the temple anyways. Cornelius was a proselyte, a Gentile who believed in Yahweh and who tried to adapt the moral standards of Judaism into his life. In present day, it's somebody who believes that God exists, goes to church regularly, gives their money, and is a really good person. And that's exactly the kind of person that will spend eternity separated from God if they don't have Jesus. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Listen, by now many of you know that I preach the gospel to religious people as much as I preach the gospel to irreligious people. Because I believe out of the some 2,000 plus people that's coming through here this weekend, there are some Corneliuses who think they're fine, but the truth is they don't know God personally. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Hear it. A world of nice people content in their niceness and looking no further would be just as desperately in need of salvation as a miserable world and might be even more difficult to save. For mere improvement is not redemption. Did you hear that? Mere improvement is not redemption, though redemption always improves people. God became a man to turn creatures into sons. Not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to, but to produce a new kind of man. It's not like teaching a horse to jump better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature if any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creation. You can have all the religion in the world, but not be born again. But notice what happens to Cornelius. In fact, this proves the point. He, send, he has a dream about Peter. He sends men to get Peter. To bring Peter back to his house to hear the gospel as Peter will talk about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And then notice what happens. It's unthinkable. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, that is Jesus, the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. Now look at chapter 11, verse 18, when Peter recounts what happened at Cornelius' house. Verse 18, And when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. It's unthinkable. Faith family, would you please join me this morning in getting your mind inside the life of Cornelius to know that when he woke up that morning, he was praying once again to a God he did not know, but by the end of the day, the very presence of God in the temple to which he could not enter was now dwelling in his heart. And everything changed forever for Cornelius. This morning, what I want you to do if you're here and you're a Christian, would you rejoice in the unthinkable salvation that God has given you? Isn't it amazing? Anybody with me? Like, it, it... God has saved us. We, We know God. Like, how crazy is that? You, of all people... And you can say it back at me. Pastor you, of all people, I know. It's like Cornelius on that day. It's like, man, I would have never imagined that I would be able to draw near. But now I can. Because God has granted me new life. Isn't that awesome? Oh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't ever want to lose the sweet Taste of amazing grace, of a salvation that is unthinkable but true. There are others of you, it's not rejoice in an unthinkable salvation, but some of you this morning, you need to receive an unthinkable salvation. Because let's be honest, you don't think this applies to you, not with your past. I mean, after all, you've had an abortion. After all, you paid for the abortion. After all, you've struggled with alcoholism. After all, you've continued to try to live up, but you've never been able to live up. After all, you just keep falling short over and over and over again. And it, Pastor, if you knew my past, you'd know it'd be unthinkable that God would save me. You look at me right now. The grace of God does the unthinkable. The grace of God saves the unthinkable. And I bet there's a few people in the room that would testify to that very reality. Today you walked in here, hearing other people sing to the God you don't know. Today you can walk out with brand new life in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on. Sometimes we think we know reality, but God has a way of coming in and changing our lives forever. Well, let me end with this. What does Peter, by the way, that means like 45 more minutes. (laughs) What, What does Peter and Cornelius prove? It's not just about these two men. It's actually pointing to a larger reality of the mission. In other words, the paradigm doesn't just change for two individual lives. The whole paradigm of the mission of God changes. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 44. When Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And then verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised, that is the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed. Are you noticing a pattern? Peter perplexed. Cornelius perplexed. The Jews with Peter amazed. Why? Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even, even, even on Gentiles. In other words, something absolutely unthinkable is happening. The redemptive plan of God for 1400 years has focused primarily on Israel. And all that is about to change. Because now, what happened in Acts 2 with the Jews, the Spirit comes down, now happens in Acts 10 with the Gentiles, and something, and it's so difficult for us to get into this mindset. Something that All throughout redemptive history has not been the case, is now the case. Namely, Jew and Gentile are brought into one body, the people of God. It is absolutely unthinkable. Here's what's going on, is that the mission of God is going from cultural isolation to global inclusion. The mission of God is going from cultural isolation to global inclusion. And I'm going to make a statement that there will be some of you who will not like that. And there's one sense where I'm like, that kind of happens every week. You know, it's like, that's not new. But I absolutely believe it with all that I am. And here's the statement, it's this. A church or a Christian That does not have a global focus is not on mission with Jesus. A church or a Christian that does not have a global focus is not on mission with Jesus. I mean, here's the pushback. I've heard this for 20 years in ministry. But you know, Pastor, we have so many needs right here. To which I say, I'm really, really glad that the apostles didn't have your attitude. I'm really glad that Jesus didn't say to his disciples, you know, there's a lot of needs right here in Jerusalem. Let's just stay here. If that had been the reality, I'd be in hell right now. You cannot read your Bible and deny the necessity of local mission. You cannot read your Bible and deny the necessity of global mission. It's not one or the other. It's both if you're going to be on mission with God. Why? Because it's at the heart of the gospel. Look at what Peter says in verse 36. Now I'm going to get to preaching. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Jesus Christ? He is Lord of all. He's not Lord of white people. He's not Lord of Americans. He's Lord of all. He died on the cross for the world. God so loved the world. Which means he's not just saving one skin color, one ethnic group. Our God is a global God who is absolutely worthy of the worship of all peoples. And that's why the mission had better focus on all peoples. It's at the heart of who Jesus is. And not only that, it has to do with the witness of the gospel. Paul says this. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also the Greek. What is his argument? Come in here close. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's powerful. It's like a stick of dynamite that will blow your life up in a moment and change it forever. Well, how do you know? Because it has the power to save. But, but what kind of salvation? The kind of salvation that brings Jew and Greek together. You may not like my theological math, but I'm convinced it's true. A hundred people of different races, different ethnicities, worshiping Jesus is more glorifying to God than a thousand people who are all the same why because you can get a thousand people who are all the same together and you don't need the power of God for that that's called tailgating (laughs) but when you got a hundred people who have no other reason to be together except but Jesus that says something about the power of the gospel When a white middle-aged man in America starts becoming passionately concerned about the salvation of a black middle-aged man in Africa, that's a powerful witness only to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the third reason it's probably the simplest of all is it's just the commission. Can I be on? You know, I've preached this passionately because I believe it passionately. And I know that there are some of you who think, well, I just, I think we just need to focus right here where we are. Jesus said, go into all nations and make disciples. Jesus said, I'm going to send you out to the ends of the earth. Have you noticed in the book of Acts that we keep getting more and more and more racially diverse? By now, we got Samaritans, we got Ethiopian eunuchs, we've got Jews. And the more and more we go throughout the book of Acts, the more and more diverse it's going to get. Why? Because what part of go to the nations isn't clear? A Christian or a church that's on mission with God will have, in some way, a global focus on all people's. And so let me give you two very practical things for us, and then we'll, we'll close. I'm, I'm actually serious this time. And I want to preach like four sermons out of this. I don't have time, and we've got more things to come in the months and years ahead. Uh, this is maybe just kind of a manifesto, a stake in the ground, a defining of areas that we're going to implement vision in, and be bringing before you in the months to come. Two things. Is we need a greater global focus locally. We need a greater global focus locally. That sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. Do you know why? Do you know where you live? Do you know where you live? In the Twin Cities metro Have you studied the demographics of the Twin Cities Metro lately? Let me just give you a few stats. We have the largest Somali, Ethiopian, Liberian, and Burmese population in the United States right here. We have the second largest Tibetan population in the United States right here. The Phillips neighborhood in Minneapolis has over 100 languages represented and the largest concentration of Native Americans in the U.S., The largest number of Korean adoptees, the largest Hindu temple in North America is here. The rail system that some of you have probably been on sells tickets in four different languages. Here's my point. Take up and eat. Rise and go down. What that means is that personally, in your family, in our missional communities, as a congregation... Please hear me as your pastor. We need to do a better job at crossing barriers, crossing ethnic barriers for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ because those realities exist right here where God has planted us. Here's the second thing. Is we need a greater global focus globally. We need a greater global focus globally. I hope that in the next few years we send so many mission teams out of here that it makes your head spin. I mean, they're going and coming and going and coming as we are sending people out. And we're going to say things like, you know what? Sacrifice a vacation next year and go on a mission trip to engage in the global mission of God. We're going to align our global partnerships with specific global strategies. We're going to ask you to more intentionally, and some of you do, and thank you for it, you give to the Global Outreach Fund to support those global partnerships around the world for the sake of the gospel. You know what? I hope some of you are are teenagers, I hope that some of you will say, you know what? I'm going to bypass living life in America. I'm going to give my life vocationally being a missionary overseas I know one day I would have thought that's unthinkable my parents probably think that's unthinkable right now but I feel like God's placed that call on my life here am I Lord send me a greater global focus locally and a greater global focus globally the truth is faith family it's very very easy for us like Stephen in that subway ride to think we know our reality. Some of you right here this morning think you know your reality. But God has a way of coming in and not just shifting our paradigm, completely shattering it. Because there was a day when Peter was casting his nets for fish, he would have never imagined he'd be eating barbecue. There was a day when Cornelius was offering up prayers he never would have imagined he'd know God personally. There was a day when the mission was in Jerusalem, and they never would have imagined that there'd be a November morning in Minnesota where there'd be a group gathered right here saying, Jesus is Lord. But something came in, or should I say, someone came in and changed everything forever. Not a dream, not a vision, a person. God became a man. God associated with human beings. God died on a cross. God rose from the grave. God associated with people. (laughs) And he went to places that we never could imagine. So is it any wonder, fate family, that God has called us to a life that seems unthinkable? And all God's people said, Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. And I'm asking that you destroy by your spirit our comfort zones. There are relational comfort zones that we have. Uh, there are financial comfort zones that we have. There are all different things that we think we know reality and I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would come in like you did with Peter, like you did with Cornelius, like you did with the mission and that you would totally destroy those currently held paradigms and that you would call us to something unthinkable. That you would call us to something that we could have never imagined because that's what life on mission really looks like. And and for some, they're here this morning, and and what that call is is to repent of their sin and to believe in Jesus. And that seemed really unthinkable when they drove in here this morning, and yet the Spirit of God has, has given to them today the truth of the gospel, and in light of that, their life can never, ever be the same. God, would you do that for us? Would you come and speak to us in that way? We ask